This week we have Chris Cook, director of something for Timney Triggers, joining us from somewhere out in Arizona. We appreciate him taking the time on his super important business trip to peel off and join us in rainy Chapel Hill for a quick little podcast. We hope you enjoy it. Broadcasting from everywhere and nowhere, the Misfit Crew at Southfleet HQ is proud to bring you the Dive Living Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Died Living Podcast, brought to you, as always, by Softleet. Today, we have a special friend joining us, Mr. Chris Cook, currently with Timney Triggers, but uh, I think we're probably going to delve into a little bit more of his background, past, present, and future. So, Chris, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, guys. Welcome to the podcast. It's the background if we're looking into the future. Well, I'm saying we're going to talk about his background, but then we'll also talk about what he's doing now, and we'll look into the future Semantic as well. arguments with Doug. I'm uh, impressed that we didn't, I'm surprised that we didn't name him Jim Cook. <laughs> it's uh, the, the good Chris Nom de Guerre. Today, we'll be meeting with Jim Cook, notorious Navy SEAL. That's my dad. Oh, no shit. No, not the Navy <laughs> SEAL part. <laughs> Just the Jim part. Well, hey, there you go. Jim, we need to put him. Is on Jim list. your real name? Chris is my real name. No, last That's time right. we had a guy named Chris on the podcast, you called him Jim, though. No, we called him Jeff. I called him Jeff. Jeff. My bad. That's oh, I didn't understand your joke. The joke was terrible. He's busy typing out. He's doing something on the table that no one can see. Right. <clears throat> I'm wrapping a rubber band. I only did that because I thought that when I saw the thing, it was CP and then his last name. And then I thought someone called him Jeff. So I was like, man, I don't know what the fuck CP stands for. Maybe maybe he goes by Jeff. If only good. there was a conversational tool you could use to inquire about such things before <laughs> right. you said someone's name. <laughs> right? I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I think, <clears> I think <laughs> one, of, one of my weaknesses I would, that I always want to work on is the fact that when I introduce myself to people or they're introduced to me, no matter how hard in the moment I'm like, remember this person's name, remember this person's <laughs> name. Fucking three seconds later, man. It's gone. It's like. Nope, I'm with you. It's hard sometimes. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why that is. Yeah. Um, you know, if I'm just like. Doug just really sends some dick pics. Right? And then he remembers the dick pic. That I right. sent them. It's a narcissist wet dream, dude. The only way to remember someone else's name is by giving them a little piece of yourself. I just send them a text describing it. That way it's left <laughs> to their imagination. I, being a homeschooled child, I was much more into literatica than I was actual pornography because I could Man, get to it on the internet. That explains so much. Oh my God. You were raised on a, on a steady diet of Danielle Steele and tears. Yeah. Cold, torrid nights. <laughs> Look warm in the bed. <laughs> Underneath in the West Texas West sunset. Texas sunsets. <laughs> the cold wind being kept out by the steady flow of something warm under the covers. A horse whinnies somewhere off in the distance. <laughs> the thunder cracked across the sky. My turgid member quivered mm. oh. at the thought of her moist loins. Yep. <laughs> As the hay shifted. <laughs> <laughs> you know, our former neighbors in uh, the American Underground building, Written Word Media, they do a ton of Stop romantic it. novel stuff. Do they really? Yeah. How did I? It's one of, is, their, one of their is, biggest genres. Um, Ricky and... Um, Ricky and Farrell. Farrell? Yeah. No joke. They do like... like like literatica type stuff? I mean, I'm, 
They're not, use the they're word not writing it or yeah, your word it. count for quivering would it be high? <laughs> <laughs> Moist. I'm, I'm I now I feel like I missed a huge opportunity in their promotion. Turgid, turgid, yes. throbbing. Their promotion of ebooks. I think romance is oh, one yeah. of the the biggest categories. Isn't they that where specific like ultra fetish ebooks is like an enormous business? Really? Yeah, yeah. Like, huge. And people crank them out fast. Like and and these authors like find these ultra specific niches. And, and I when I mean ultra specific, I mean ultra specific. Like. I write books that are nothing but like half unicorn, half men that have been kidnapped on prison islands that like have sex with this thing, like people crazy. Just, and they, they keep figuring it out. And it's like a Google AdWords game, but these guys can ram out these like hundred page books in a week. I would ram. think that that would be one of the jobs that could be taken by AI. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I actually think it could be done better by AI because we've all seen the literary abortion that was Fifty Shades of Grey, which is absolutely well literotica there's a, yeah. niche. There's a Durham-based AI company that does, they started with sports and I think now they do general news, but it's like AI written, you know, like 500 word articles. Yeah. And they started to do it to cover like all sports games. And now they're on to news and maybe next uh, thing, next thing up is ultra fetish. We're not porn, porn, man. It's like everything on the internet circles back around to porn. I read an interview with one of these guys that wrote these books and he's like, yeah, it took me like three or four years to really hone in on this like ultra niche that like I was the only player in the whole market. But he's like, globally, there's like 140, 150 people that will buy every single one of my titles. So Every two weeks, I release a new title. Those 140, 150 people buy it. That's my salary. It's like sometimes they go, you know, some some less, some more, but the standard deviation is like super tight from that number. He's like, yeah, man, now I've honed in on it. Super wow. good. It's like people are so weird. Filling into the weird. data. Yeah, man. <sighs> well, so Chris, what brings you out to the East Coast? <laughs> <laughs> I've got an interview at an AI company in Durham. Yeah, right. <laughs> Porn stuff. I know a lot of words. Uh, I'm actually out here for work. Um, uh, I work in an industry that uh, sometimes getting out and meeting people and names to faces, so to speak, shake yeah, some yeah. hands and uh, get a better understanding of their businesses, how they operate, so that we can make sure that uh, through our partnership that we're doing everything we can to help them. Can you tell us who you work for? I work for Timney Triggers. All right. The 72-year-old company started at, uh, by a returning World War II vet. Uh, it started in California. It was Thaddeus m- Timney? Thaddeus? No, no. Alan. <laughs> Alan Thaddeus. <laughs> it's not Calvin. No. Calvin. That's our, our current father, Thaddeus Jane Timney. Thaddeus Jane. <laughs> Sold four oxen carts. Um, that's a good mid-Atlantic accent you have there. <laughs> I'm down by the shore. Yeah. Um, moved from California to Arizona and South Phoenix uh, in the 80s. And then a couple of years ago, moved to North Phoenix with the, the new owner of the company who took it over in late 2000, John Beer. And... I came on board in October of 16 and it's been a pretty wild ride. Yeah. Uh, you know, the company's been putting itself in places and making some moves and getting some steam behind it by willingly embracing the changes that, uh, not only the industry, but the people that are all interconnected, you know, through the big spider web of the industry. So what are the changes that you guys are seeing? That's a great question. That's, um, no one ever says that when it's really a great question. Yeah, right? it's it's really long. Let me uh, let me tell you some <laughs> things that we're going to So everyone who's listening to this podcast now has to sign a non-disclosure That's agreement. That's right. Ominous, Where are the changes? I think the, some of the biggest changes are 
bigger companies that in a long time, for a long time, have swung just a big stick are realizing that without evolving, without creating new products that actually get people excited, um, they're losing a lot of share, mm -hmm. a tremendous amount of it. Just a new camo pattern isn't cutting it anymore. Right. You know, just, uh, hey, we're going to make this helmet look like that helmet, but it's going to be cooler. Well, why? Well, just because it is, that's not cutting it anymore. Yeah. Um, that's the biggest thing that I know. And the companies that are willing to embrace that and get involved, and how they do that, they actually ask. How do you learn more about anything? Gotta ask, right? Mm -hmm. So they're doing that. And by doing so, they're, they're starting to see it. The issue is at what speed are they able to start changing what they're able to produce and manufacture? Right. And follow through with all that and that cycle that they have within their own company to be able to be agile enough to start creating things that people want. Well, yeah. firearms is a strange industry because it's like, in, from my, what I've observed, it's almost one of the most anti-innovation industries totally out there. You know, people are still in love with 1911s. Yes. You know, it's like a 110-year-old pistol design. Pistols have gotten better in 110 years. Like, no one would say, like, oh, and yes. If, if John Browning had intended it to be better, he would have made it better then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's God's literally caliber. nothing else from 1910 other than maybe, like, hand tools for woodworking and machining mm -hmm. that people think are superior to the stuff that's being made right now. You know, no computers right. or electronics or cars or anything like that. So it's weird. And anytime a new innovative product comes out, there's an enormous amount of pushback. You know, oh, well, that doesn't do this or that doesn't do that. It's like, well... It doesn't necessarily suit the way that you fired a weapon. Please tell me that this is you advocating a Riker's fist grip. I don't know what that is. <laughs> Needless to say, it's a terrible product that is, is that innovative. The, the side rail it's thing? It's a side rail yeah. fist gripping mount thing that uh. like one Navy SEAL said was superior for all the shooting he didn't do. It's like that door handle turned sideways mounted on a rail. Yep. Yeah. It's the worst idea ever. Yep. But well, I mean, it's just like even like all new firearms designs, if it doesn't look like a previous firearm or it doesn't, you know, it's hard to it, sell people don't want like with holsters and stuff. I mean, I, I, I get innovation. The reason Glock's been so good for so long is because like, hey, man, it's the same, changed. the same line and like all the holsters fit and all the lights fit and dudes that want to spend $500 on a pistol can do it on a Glock. And then Nick one dime themselves on like eighty dollars sites and whatever mm -hmm. later on down the road, right? But even look at RMRs or, or, or red dot optics on pistols. Like those have been around for a long time, and people are like, "Well, that's fucking stupid because you get to use your iron sights. Like that's how I learned how to do it. That's how you should be doing it. You're a cheater if you have. It's like, dude, it's putting rounds on target. Like, mm -hmm. what's the problem here? I think that we have proven though, like frame frame mounted optics can be faster obviously because like open class but slide mounted optics no matter how you cut it are just not going to be as fast as iron sights they'll be more accurate for like a certain subset of shooters but most guys that are really fast no matter how much time they're spending trying to work getting faster with an optic are still sticking with the iron sights mm. for frame i mean for slide mounted that's that's my takeaway on it i still I, like I, them i think Whatever opinion you have on it is well reasoned and well formed. I'm just saying that the moment those people started seeing them, there was an immediate pushback, oh, pushback. for no yeah. reason. It's uh, like I don't have any data. Is it right? It's just change is stupid. Change so, is dumb. yeah, man. I mean, getting back to what you were saying before, like what what are the big overarching themes that you're seeing as far as change in the industry? You know, what direction for a while? I feel like you know everything kind of during the last administration was like just sell as much shit as you can, mm -hmm. not necessarily, maybe more buy as much shit as you can, mm -hmm. 
because maybe it won't be available in like right. a year from now. And now I think that like that wolf isn't at the door anymore. But I also feel like with you know advertising having changed, like Facebook and Google not really effectively allowing firearms right. advertising, that's put different pressure on. But I also feel like that's been a bit of an excuse for the industry because I think most of the people, except for maybe some of the bigger companies, are so far behind the curve adapting to like modern advertising and customer communication methods that even though some of those avenues might be effectively blocked for them, it's not like they were taking advantage of them or ready to capitalize on, on them anyway. You know what I mean? I totally agree. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, with that, you know, like as, as you've come in, it's been two years or two and a half years, you know, like what are the big trends that you're seeing and what are you, what are you guys doing at Timney to kind of differentiate yourselves from the competition? We'll pick up on what, to kind of add on to what you said, right? Um, companies that weren't doing a good enough job in advertising, they're slow to the party. I think that, that notes a specific, a, a, a pretty big percentage of a lot of the firearms and base industry companies that are out there. Now their big woe is me is like you stated, oh, Google and Facebook are shutting us down. What are we going to do? We got to get, we got to get booth babes again or whatever their idea is, right? Booth babes. Yeah. So Dude, the 80s lives <laughs> again. So the bigger companies are starting to listen to the people who understand what content creation and what real engagement really is, right? That's becoming a really big part. And anybody that's selling anything has to create that that part where it attracts people and gets them to stay long enough to learn a little bit and then want to get engaged and then break out their wallet. The big companies, sometimes they move so slow because of their size, they're not willing to listen to the people there. They're like, look, I know that I'm young. I know that I'm into this, but your demograph is your, your 23 to 38 or 42-year-old. You got a 15, 18, 20-year window. Those are the people that are buying these products. Let's talk to them. The kids aren't the, the issue. The guys past that really aren't the issue. They've got their collections already. They're not going to be going out spending buckets and buckets of money. And they're being more apt to listen to those people. They'll move faster. But the bigger company is, is anybody that of us that worked in the military or bigger companies before know that what speed that really looks like. Timney is doing things a little differently. We basically sat down and said, hey, let's, we, there was like processes in place that were jotted down on legal paper. We just, shh, just tore that thing off through it, we round filed that and sat down and literally the owner just had us all sit in the room and go, what are we going to do? What does this look like? Let's get a game plan going. Let's create this strategy around our operations by understanding the vision, sharing that, and then how do we get there? They didn't have a guy that would spend weeks at a time on the road creating connections with people. They didn't have, they had a guy that did a great job with media and marketing and getting out there to meet with hunters and writers, but is now speaking with brand advertising agencies that are out there actually in, interested in helping us create or tell our story better. Nobody knows about you. Which, How are they going to find I you? I mean, I'm assuming you guys, correct me, I'm sure you've done your market research, but I mean, you guys are the number one drop-in trigger company in the AR world, right? That's and, a great question. I mean, you are you have to be, I mean, as far as brand recognition goes, yes. I mean, there's, there's like 20 Anytime there's a trigger special in Recoil Magazine, there's like 20 different kinds of drop-in triggers. Right. Um, there's really only a few like custom trigger companies like like the Geisleys and stuff mm -hmm. like that, that that still do like a mechanical like hard install. Right. What do you call that anyway? Uh, so ours are called cartridge style. Okay. Um, and anything not is basically a bag or an assemble. Okay. An assembly so style. yeah, essentially like your, your triggers are just, it's a box with a trigger on it. It drops into your lower receiver and you tighten two set screws and you're good. 
Mm-hmm. That's it. It's it's really easy to install. It takes a lot of like the where does this spring go? Mm-hmm. Where is this routed out of it? Um, you know, I don't. It's weird to me though. Like, I mean, you guys have a huge market in in match triggers for bolt guns as well mm-hmm. for like hunters. So I see you guys. I've always thought of Temney as one of the like forerunners in that realm. But I don't know like how you guys compete with Geisley where I'm assuming, I mean, Bill just shows up at every trade show right. and hands out like 200 free triggers to SF guys mm-hmm. and is like, all right, I'll see you guys next time a contract's up. <laughs> you know, like gonna, <laughs> just, I'll bid that contract. You know, he's super cool about it. Yeah, like, for real, sure. Real laid back, but he's all handshaking. Yeah. Um, and somebody there is doing innovation as far as like rails and other things mm-hmm. at Geisley, but I'm assuming it's not Bill. You know, I'm assuming someone else is moving into those categories, but I mean, you guys are really doubling down on trigger tech, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, that's that and selectors Mm -hmm. firing mechanisms. Mm -hmm. Is that, I mean, is that going well? How are you securing more of the market? You know, one of the greatest ways to start looking at how to reinvent or redefine something is to understand your competitors and to recognize them, right? Pretending that they don't exist. What if you admit that they're there? respect the product that they make and look inside yourself to what are we going to do to make something better, right? No one is making Mauser triggers or Springfields or even Browning X, Savage, Howa, Tika. We're the only ones that do all those, right? But the ARs and the Remington style platforms, we, we're starting to have competitors that are making some quality products. So I think the first thing that we do is we look at the product, break it down, kind of really get a good understanding of how it operates. And then how do we look at making ours better? And by better, it's not copying because it, it flattery, imitation, all that, the whole, but for us, it's what do we do to make ours better? And if we can make ours and refine it a little bit better by, from a performance perspective, that's something we're doing now that we used to never do before. So right now we're reaching out to pro shooters, three gun guys, guys shooting PRS has taken off like a rocket in this country. Um, and guys that want to engage us, we're, we have phones people can call in. We've got tech chat lines on our website. We've got, email response. We've got a whole network put together from a customer care perspective that we want the engagement from the consumer. We want to hear back. And right now, I'm the only guy that goes through my network of SF buddies to get them stuff, to get them to try it, to give me what? Feedback. It's not just because it's cool. It's like, hey man, use this and tell me what your thoughts are. Like, where are you at with this? And then checking in with them to make sure, hey man, give me some feedback to help me make this thing a little bit better. And we've actually taken that feedback, given it to the R&D, that is really going through a reconstruct of how we're engineering things. Because there's a difference between designing, right, and creating, and then designing, discovering, engineering, re-engineering, reiteration, and then making something ready for everybody out there. So So when you're on the road, I mean, right now, are you trying to kind of promote to end users or are you talking more to manufacturers that you guys would like to work with to have instead of, you know, is a consumer me buying this AR, buying this hunting rifle, and then afterwards being like, man, the first thing I got to do is swap out the trigger, right. you know, starting from that kind of that stage before I buy it where, hey, you know, add value to to your whole platform as a firearms manufacturer by having the trigger already there. You just nailed it right on the head. It's not just promoting the value from within the company by creating that alliance with them to give them that product to get to that consumer. It's already got it in here. Now we're ready to go. It'd be like 
you're, you're buying this Corvette, but it came with like the Costco, Costco Bridgestones, and it really should have Michelin Pilot Cups or something on it. We're getting the we're getting those sport tires on that car already. We're getting it in that rifle already, and it's not just just to sell to them as this big scheme of well, move all these units. No, it's actually a business solution because as these bigger companies we discussed about earlier that are having issues with understanding how they stay profitable and stay being able to create evolution basically and making better products. We're now allowing them to time to take that whole thing out of the equation and recommit their efforts and their assets to making a better what? You guys make the gun. Yeah. Make the gun better. Make it work better. Create the more value for the consumer. Do a better customer service. Provide a better warranty. Whatever that might look like for you guys. And allow us to take this this space and, and help you with it. I mean, it's, it seems... I think we've dealt with this briefly as well. It, early on when we were working with like other firearms companies in the industry and you see like, it, I think it used to be, um, I mean, certainly when we were kids, so like not that long ago, 20 years ago or so, being a major manufacturer in the firearms space was a guarantee to mint money. Right. Right. Like the Colt 6920 is the gold standard for what an M4 should look like. Everybody wants that. That's what the, that's what. Every dude going to a gun store is looking for, and then they're settling for a Rock River Arms mm-hmm. or a DPMS. Like, I'm in it. The price was right. This is what I bought, right? And mm-hmm. we know, like, there's machining tolerance differences, but really, it was about where was this machined and, and who's putting it through a wholesaler and then putting it into my local gun store, right? Mm-hmm. No one was like looking at YouTube videos of Noveski girls driving super sweet high boys and shooting, you know, guns at balloons with little like, you know, plush chickens inside of them or whatever. (laughs) I mean, like those videos are awesome. I love Mm -hmm. all the stuff they put out, but I mean, I don't think we would have predicted as kids that the market for a $4,000 AR existed. Well, yeah, it was a thing. Well, there was no direct to consumer sales either really. Yeah, exactly. No direct to consumer sales. So you were basically buying what was at your gun store. Like you didn't have an option. And the internet came around. Yep. Well, and even more than that is like talking to places that use wholesalers still, which is going to still be Colt, DPMS, a lot of the the major manufacturing companies, which in my mind are now making mid-grade M4s. These are not the gold standard anymore. This is a quote-unquote U.S. government issue item. Yeah, it's a mil-spec item. Right on, man. So it's a four MOA gun, which <laughs> four. <laughs> there's no excuse, right, for having like an M4 that's not a 1.5 gun anymore or, or less right. is it's an out of spec gun now. I mean, or you're dealing with like a pencil barrel, a really lightweight thing. And even then, that's still like a two MOA gun. Mm. You know, um, it's but you talk to guys that go to, through wholesalers and the idea of spending $200 on a trigger <laughs> Like, well, we'll let somebody else figure that out later, but they don't want to put it in their gun. Right. And I'm saying, man, if, you, if you're already putting out a sub-MOA gun and you already have all this other stuff going into it, why would you not upcharge your rifle? And like, if people are selling $4,000 guns and you can upsell your gun from an $899 or $799 rifle to a $1,200 rifle that already has everything done to it, and you're making more profit. Why would you not be looking at that, right? It, it's a no-brainer. It's the, the conversation you're having right now is the one we had in January with a whole lot of builders, a lot of OEMs. So there was a period in time, not even a, a year and some change ago, where we were going into gun stores and doing some market studies and seeing on the shelf four hundred dollar ARs. Yep. 
what? That's like, we're looking at like the Antichrist hanging on the wall. Like, what are you doing? Why, who, who needs, if they could only spend $400, so I'm to wait six months and spend $900. So there were $1,100, $1,200 M4 segments. Then there were, or AR segments. And then there were like the 21 to $2,200 segment. And then when you got real serious and you were, you were a real shooter, you were doing like the $3,000 ones that were almost obtained that most gun stores didn't have. You were getting them through brokers Yep. who had access to certain companies. That's like Noveski and Hodge, year three and Hodge. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, It changed. All of a sudden, their people had been spooling their businesses for so long during eight years of an administration where the painting on the wall was, get it built, get it slapped together, get it in a box and get it out the door. Well, they had created all this infrastructure, all these machine shops building all these upper and lowers out of, out of mill spec. And then all of a sudden, the political climate changed dramatically, right? So it changed so dramatically that their idea was, let's chop our profits. Let's barely keep the lights on. We've got to keep our commitments to these gun stores that were already, these manufacturers rather, they're already eight and 12 months behind in forecasts that they'd already put POs in for. So what was the only thing they could do with the price? Basement. Right. Just deck it down to the ground. Well, I also think, you know, when we talk about the higher end of the market, it's like, man, if I'm going to spend four grand or you know, 3500 bucks on AR. A lot of the companies that I might look at, there's tons of options, right? So right. if I'm within whatever model that I'm looking at, you know, if I'm some dude at a gun store, it's like, do I stock my shelves with all of these high-end guns that maybe don't have, like, the right color rail that this dude wants or, you know, like, this guy wants this other grip or, you know, there's six different barrel options. The like three which, gun which one has to be just like infuriating oh to sell God. guns. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, well the ARs have become the Barbie dolls of totally. the gun world. Right. They're growing up so Barbies. It's like, it'd be, it's almost impossible for you to put like the right inventory on your shelves for, you know, who knows who's walking through the door. You could have $50,000 worth of, you know, inventory there. And it's mm-hmm. like, have you guys ever man, like, I want that one, but like, I want one option but, different. So now I'm going to go home and order it online. But, you know? Well, it seems like a gun store would behoove them to have basically stripper models that don't have rails. Some, that don't some have places do, they do that. Build, some places build, do build a bear. They got adult build a bear sections. But that's all well and good. When you get into the $4,000 AR category, we are starting to talk about a different kind of consumer too, mm. which is like, we, we were joking about nice watches earlier, right? Like we like, we like Rolexes. If I was to go to a watch store in the United States that sold Rolexes, I would have what ten choices. Mm-hmm. That would be it. Like I get, I get a cheesy stainless and gold combo. Sorry to anybody who has one of those. <laughs> there's stainless options and there's just gold options. Mm-hmm. And there's the basic line of Rolexes. You got what four or five? Yeah, flagship, like three or four now. Yeah, yeah. Fla- flagship watches. And that's your choices. And like. You know, it's funny, you go to the Middle East with your stainless steel watch that we all think is like, hey man, a nice, classy stainless steel Rolex and every one of my like Emirati, uh, Iraqi, any of my Arab friends shits on it. (laughs) They're like, oh, only Americans like stainless steel watches. Those are for poor people. Come to the watch store with me. (laughs) And you go to the watch store with them where like there are a hundred Rolexes on the shelf. All of them are made in the most gaudy custom fashion you've ever seen. Like, like, like semi-precious jewels that look like tiger striping across the face and the whole body, like all the like inlaid, you know, like the etching and everything. And you're like, they are expensive. Like they're not, it's, it's not a $40,000, 
um, Daytona anymore. It's a two hundred thousand dollar Daytona that you can't pawn for fifty bucks. You know, like <laughs> that's not what's, real. What's the value of the gold and the semi precious rocks on this watch? Because the Rolex has zero value because it's been bastardized by some custom shop, and no one will buy it. It's spinning rims for the wrist. Exactly. Dude, 100%. But those guys, they don't care. They don't go in there thinking to themselves, I need a Tiger print Rolex today. They walk in and they see the Tiger print Rolex and they're like, I can't live without that. Here's the cash and I buy it right now. So how does that relate back to the three gun world? Saying that like all of the guns, like when you say, hey man, like it's hard to have the right combination. Oh, yeah, yeah. The deal is right. if you put the like thin blue line paint job on there and have like all blue anodized everything and like more holes than like a freaking Thai whorehouse all over the gun. Dude's going to be like, I got to have that. And you're like, it doesn't matter to him that when he, he's accidentally sticking his fingers through the rail all the time and burning himself mid match or that like it doesn't run good because it hasn't been tuned well. It's dirty. <laughs> Shit looked Good. Well, Glo Glocks and ARs have become like the equivalent of the, the gold-plated drug cartel 1911s of, of years four. Desert yeah. Eagle. That's like, not, let's not besmirch any of those. Those are baller. They're, they're baller. <laughs> but people aren't buying Agency or Zev or whatever because it's like, this is the most accurate blah, blah, blah. They're buying it because it looks baller, and when they whip it out at the range, everybody knows exactly what that is. Same thing with, look at Battle Arms Development. They're doing these paratrooper edition mm -hmm. guns. They're with wooden furniture on them. Yeah. They look rad as fuck. Do I want one. Every time I see it on the Instagram, I'm like, I, thought, I want that thing. <laughs> and then I see the price and I'm like, well, fuck. I mean. Don't want that thing that badly. I don't want that, that nearly that badly. <laughs> but so a lot of these companies are starting to go off on those. Like that's how they're innovating. It's through aesthetics. design. It's mm -hmm. aesthetics. You know, it's like, oh, it's, it's still an AR, but it's like this beautifully custom milled lowers and uppers and stuff like that. It still functions well, the exact same way. I think way. part of it goes back to, you know, how, if, when you try to just compete on functionality, right? Like, it doesn't matter to 99% of the shooters. Well, not only that, but, you know, what are the major innovations that we're seeing in, like, the, these weapons platforms over the last 100 years, like you guys were pointing out? You know, I mean, it's like, my trigger triggers even faster than this The only major innovations have been does, optics like, and lights. I think that there have been major innovations. So, I think that composite. most of those innovations are seen in materials, mm -hmm. like Chris was saying, and we're seeing them in performance metrics that most shooters, they can feel, but they can't quantify because they're not running a clock. Right. But well, like you see competitive shooters that are like, that are doing things like so, But how do we sell? I mean- so clearly, like a Timney trigger is, is going to be way better than like the average average kind of you know trigger that's going to come stock on drop, most, absolutely right? or the standard mil spec, yeah. But you know, versus your competitors, like why? What's the difference between what is the Elft difference and Timney, right? Like essentially, what's the difference? And I mean, what are you? How are you guys selling it? Because I think you know you're you're a smart guy when it comes to marketing. You realize that. You know, functionality, you, you can't just like sell people on functionality, no, right? No, not anymore so. because people have varying degrees of usage. All tool steel, the aluminum, everything is, everything is coated. We don't require lubrication on anything. In fact, we prefer that you don't, which is weird for some people that grew up lubricating everything, right? Um, I run my shit dry. I like dry, to feel it extra all. Extra dry. Um, <laughs> like a desert in there. <laughs> like a desert. It's got little hair in there. Um that's the first thing. The big thing for Timmy that separates us, not just because of the quality of the content, we were doing tolerances to 4,000. It's not nine, like most back, number one. Two, we use EDM. We're using robots. The only portion of our whole process where people are touching is when they're testing it, obviously assembling it, but it's the test. It's the touch. It's the way that we're able to set the parameters for how that trigger is supposed to operate by hand. 
And when a company does that and has a has a regimen, even with the strict to build that we have, when some of those still fail, that for whatever reason, that batch of the accumulation of parts didn't pass our, didn't get through our strict regimen uh, that goes in the, by the wayside, that kind of leads to why our stuff is as accurate as it is. Right. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that we never have anything come back. It's just not, it's not the case. Because once it leaves that door, people are using it, they're supposed to use it for one thing, but how many times have you seen people use the wrong tool or True. the tool incorrectly for the application? You mean me all the time? <laughs> <laughs> right? So Timney is, is, is selling a ultra high quality product that has a no questions asked lifetime warranty. Which I actually thought was a joke because and I thought it was because I just knew Chris, but I may have gotten a trigger from him that was broken when it showed up to me and I tried to fix it with a file. I was like, I can make this work. And I was like, man, they're going to yell at me when I send it back. And I like didn't get a single chastising word. They just sent me a new trigger, even though I had like taken a, a heavy duty file. Mm. I was like, I'm going to fix this thing. I did not fix it. Kind of dug it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we've got people that have bought triggers that even have older colors or other iterations from parts that aren't like the way that the, the safety is built or mm-hmm. that the uh, the 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 bolt stop release is set in there, and they'll send it back saying, "Hey, it stopped working." Like, no worries. Like, we take those actually and put them on a display case. We have iterations from the past fifteen to twenty years of triggers that have gone out that have now wow. come back to us, and we've replaced it. We've asked have people have actually asked, "Hey, I want to keep this trigger." It's like, hey, man, we want to, we want you to keep it too, but we don't make parts like that way any longer. It's evolved, so here's the latest and greatest iteration. That's pretty cool. Um, and having that, no questions asked, regardless, even with international distribution, you know, people overseas. I got a, an email from a distributor last week. It's like, hey, we've got like six or seven of these that came back to us. What do you want us to do? I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to give that customer what you have in your inventory, and then tell me what it is. And when you get to ten or fifteen or twenty triggers, send those back to me in a box, and we'll send you those. 20 back to you. We want you to step up also and and push out the fact that we have no... It, just because you didn't buy it in the United States, you bought it overseas from a distributor doesn't mean that you shouldn't get the warranty. Mm-hmm. That's the way we're looking at it anyway. Sure. Um, so that's the first thing. The second one is we're building stuff people are asking for. Nobody else does that. We literally yeah, are asking the, all the time. The Calvin Elite. The yeah. only trigger on the market like it. It pretty much is. Yeah, yeah that adjustable. Yeah. What's competitive with that? There, is, there isn't one. Yeah. Anschutz and... I think it's... You have enough of a buzz around all Calvin Elite products across like all platforms mm-hmm. that when you guys start talking about doing a Calvin Elite in a new platform, right. That's people start to like yeah. get the I wants in a hard way. Yeah. Well, that happened with us with the most recent one, the, the uh, PCC trigger yep. that came out. We did it for uh, SIG MPX and then wrote and then kind of shifted and got some really great help from them to help further develop that product. Which was great. We don't know OEM is reaching out and like, hey, this is really cool. But it, are you guys receptive to some coaching and maybe some talking about some design stuff? We're like, yeah, yeah, help us make it better. So we shifted all of our older stuff to become the, the ARPCC trigger. Mm-hmm. And it runs great. And now everybody wants, would you guys do this one in a Calvin Elite? I mean, that's the progression of it. Yep. It turns into, we want it lighter, faster, better, stronger. Because everybody wants that. Well, because every PCC trigger, every other PCC trigger on the market breaks. Yeah. Which... Like, I think that, like, my buddy Jack has was shitting on your guys' product to begin with. I don't want it. I want mm-hmm. the hyperfire trigger. So, okay. like, he's on his third hyperfire trigger. <laughs> and every time we talk about the Timneys that are in ours, he's like, well, you haven't shot yours enough yet. Well, I mean, I'm, like, 7,000 rounds in now. Mm. And I shoot it, 
like not as fast as you shoot yours, but I mean, I have the same silent capture spring buffer set up. Like I have this, my gun is set up very similarly to yours. Mm -hmm. My trigger has not had a single hiccup. Right. And you're on your third hyper fire. fire. And he's like, well, when they come out with a Calvin elite, I'm like, all right, man, whatever. Like I'll hook you up, dude. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, he just beat uh, Jerry this, this last weekend. Did he? Yeah. in In Louisiana. Oof. Yeah. And Lena too. Oh, well, she's got something special. So She does. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it, having a great warranty in place is, is always a value add, right? But imagine one day as a manufacturer, we get to a place where you didn't need to use it. I hope Hyperfire's got a great warranty because if your friends had three of them already, what's that look like? Does I, that- I haven't heard any PCC triggers that live, right? I think the guy's figuring out how to put like an AR style trigger and a like a heavy blowback design. That's what was happening for a long time before they realized that when there's so much bang happening that that hammer, we got a chance to look at that hammer under a high-speed camera, like 250,000 frames per second that went up to half a million, which is, I don't recommend anyone to spend their afternoon doing that because it is forever, like watching something move. <laughs> like when, it, when they started the film and were sharing with us, I'm like, all right, so when does this start doing its thing? Like, oh, it's doing it right now. I'm like, eh. Can you hit fast forward? Yeah, is there a, like, <laughs> like, like, like when you're watching Amazon, like the one, two, three, um, watching the BCG interact with the hammer and watching the hammer just get abused, like just kept coming back for more, bouncing off the bottom of that BCG, even as the BCG is going to the rear. I think, but people don't understand, like when you think about how, like when you think about how a gun fires when it's a on a gas impingement or a um a direct imp, uh, di, di whatever style uh, ar there's a big hole in the center of the bolt carrier mm-hmm. so like the the hammer isn't actually interacting with material on the bolt face or on the bolt carrier the entire course of the gun cycling but on a pistol caliber carbine it's just a solid bolt mm-hmm. and it's just like hitting it Beating the, the shit, yeah. beating it up, yeah, hard, uh, and it t- causes a lot of a lot of stress, a lot of a lot of pain for the for the trigger itself. So we were able to build bridges into the back of it, and different types of springs, different disconnects, or the way that it all works, make sure that it catches. Um, that's all stuff that we put into the design and engineering process. I didn't realize before coming here how much went into R and D and engineering, especially when getting a chance to partner with a giant company that helped us out, going back and forth for five iterations worth of DV testing. And understanding how they shoot and how they do their tests. That was an awesome partnership. That was a great well, opportunity for us. Cool. So yeah. how did you end up at Timney, man? So I moved to Phoenix in 2016. And I wanted to take a couple of months off. Um, what were you doing before? I was working in the oil business All right. uh, back east, doing uh, some consulting and some management stuff. And done that for over a decade. And liked it. I liked the ability to kind of strand together and do some biz dev and kind of create these these relationships and and grow businesses. And um, when I moved to Phoenix, I was going to take some time off. I figured six to seven months. My wife was like, hey, just take a knee. You've been kind of hitting it kind of hard. And it was like eight weeks in and I was ready to just lose my mind. Like I was going to go be a ATV tour instructor in the desert for, you know, 20 bucks an hour, like whatever. I didn't, I just needed to get out of the house and do something. So I got on, you know, hit all the regular job sites and stuff. And uh, the Valley is a huge bed for firearms manufacturing. There's a lot of really great companies in Phoenix, a lot, uh, more than people I think uh, realize. And I started kind of banging around a little bit and I responded to a a posting that a a job ad that had come up uh, that was just a manufacturing company that was looking for, you know, self-motivated people. And I reached out to the recruiter 
went back and forth for a couple of weeks and sat down and had an interview with him and then went down to the company. When I heard at, at the interview who the company was, it's like, why does that sound familiar? Why does that company sound familiar? Because shooting geyseys or watching guys, hanging on guys shooting geyseys in the military and then seeing guys that were uh, running sniper courses and stuff like that that had access to Timneys in their Remingtons, that's where it kind of sprung. I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. So going down, meeting the company, and then getting started up, um, kind of basically where it started from. Cool. Yeah. Sounds like it's been a pretty awesome ride, man. It is. It's been a lot of growth, <laughs> a lot of change. You know, um, they've got an operating system there that is unlike anyone I've ever experienced before. How so? Um, it's it's This operating system is predicated around an understanding of complete and absolute listening, acceptance, and the willingness to discuss whatever it is that you're interacting with that person about. It's not a, you will do this because this is your job. It's not, um, you have to because your title says this. Uh, it's a extreme, it's called, uh, it's called the collaborative way. It's very collaborative and it's very much involved with people understanding where they're coming from, listening to each other generously. And then the biggest part that I really like based on the way I look at things is speaking straight to them. So doing it responsibly, of course, but what I've understood from working with these manufacturers, as many as we have been interacting with this past year, um, they get corporate speak. Like you can go places and hear corporate talk, you know, um, but really listening. And really trying to generally connect with them to understand what the underlying issue to their problem is and then see if you can generally help them. For some people, it we're not a great fit for their company based on where they are and what they're doing and where they see themselves. But that's okay. We'll still be friends, right? Yeah. But for others that start to think about, these guys are willing to do whatever they can to work with us and make this and tangible I'm, I'm assuming you guys are set up. Uh, you know I mean you have a large manufacturing capacity as well too. Mm, so absolutely. like, well, out of all the custom trigger manufacturers in the space, mm -hmm. you can meet demand mm -hmm. with an aftermarket custom trigger on a larger volume scale than most of your competitors. Yes, absolutely. Uh, because we have leadership that is very much in touch with what we're doing. Because of our ability to, there's no real hierarchy. I can walk down the hallway and grab a meeting with the guy who writes the checks and go, hey, this is where we feel about this. These are the agreements that are in, in place. And this is what they're moving forward with. This is how we need to prepare. So when we spoke earlier about a company being out of the dynamic of how to make changes fast enough, we are. Because when you pick up the phone and order new robots and new machines, there's not like a vending machine in a warehouse that just spits these things out. These things come from places. And they require electricity, water, oil cooling, like additional electricity for the building, so on and so forth when you grow to a certain level. We're dynamic enough to where we can make those changes very quickly and get that stuff put in place so we can make sure we under-promise and over-deliver, over make sure that we follow through with our commitments. And you you guys have that machining. I mean, you have that capacity to expand rapidly? So John got the building that we're in two and a half years, just, just over two and a half years ago. Uh, his plan was between seven and 10 years to make the building work. Um, and we're going to be probably needing to either move out of it completely or add an additional building within the neighborhood in the next year and a half. Well, nice. Good for you guys, so man. That's the, that's the plan. I like giving him a reason to hire more quality people and buy more machines. Yeah. So that's, that's fantastic. Part of the plan. So coming to this culture, I mean, it sounds like you guys have like a very progressive forward thinking corporate culture. You know, is that a lot different coming from like the oil and gas business or coming from military background? And, you know, if so, was it difficult for you to adapt? And, you know, how, how, how did you adapt? 
Yeah, because uh, in a lot of other places, it's uh, more orders, more people follow because you're a, you know, you're a good employee and this is the doctrine that you follow kind of thing. Yeah. This is more of an open kind of forum to a certain degree. Like there's still a certain, hi- there's still a, you know, ultimately a hierarchy to, but it's more open. We, I've gotten ideas. We've had R&D get ideas from people that work with us. We've had R&D be receptive to taking ideas from guys that are shooters for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and in doing that, I'm able to go to manufacturers who just one a couple of weeks ago is telling me, you know, we've got this thing coming up for this new product. I'm having a real hard time finding, you know, an optics company that wants to play ball and get behind us with the marketing side. It's like, what? You guys are a huge brand. Like, how does that, how's that the case? But it's our ability to step in and go, let's just talk to them, yeah. you know? And our, our guys that are giving advice, not advice, but offering ideas, it's something that goes up on a whiteboard and go, let's, let's talk about it. A lot of places that doesn't exist <clears throat> because it's, it has to go through. Sure. Well, I think there's also, you know, one of the things I'm curious about hearing is, you know, who is setting the, the priorities for the things on the whiteboard? You know, it's, it's, Somewhere in between kind of like, hey, we'll talk to anyone, listen to anything, and like, this is the regimented order, right. and we don't, we don't veer away from it. Mm-hmm. There's like a lot of noise in between there, right? Right. So who is like kind of sifting through the noise or kind of creating the order out of the chaos that comes from, you know, that kind of more, or I should say, less structured environment? So remember earlier I talked about having conversations with people very clear and direct? Mm-hmm. I do that with manufacturers. And when you're speaking to someone at a certain level within that organization that hears what you're saying and then can pick up the phone to the five other people I use as references and they go, they mean what they say and they say what they mean. Because then I get to ask questions like, let's talk about forecasts, commitments, ship on dates, delivery dates, back it into the engineering process. How fast and agile are they to be able to move to something? We open kimono that to each other because Without us understanding, we're, we're, we're doing this, right? We're holding hands. We're thinking about getting in bed. We have to make sure that we're both speaking the same language. So taking that information from them and coming back with that feeling and then sitting down and disseminating that information to my leadership. So when it goes on my wall, goes into that process board of these are the regimental, these are the basic understandings of checklists that we have to move forward with. Where are we at at, at any one time? And then they can come down and see that and go, okay, cool. You've had this conversation, this conversation, with this company. This looks more promising. These guys are still want to play ball, but they're way back here. Sure. So we're going to forecast our growth and our pre-planning around the people that are making those commitments with us. Right. No, that makes sense. I mean, I can't help but feel like a lot of these people are just going to do it the way they've always done it yeah. until they fail. And the one of you know, it's interesting you say that because when you watch them pseudo kind of getting ready to do that, and then you've already jumped into that boat. You've already got an oar in hand, right? You're going to start rowing with them. Yeah, That's yeah. one of the cool parts about this job is getting those calls, those text messages, those, that communication from these companies that wouldn't normally think to reach out to a vendor, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a product co-creator with them for an idea about something. Yeah. But when that happens, we know that the relationship has been elevated and we're here to serve. That's the underlying thing opening ourselves to a place where all we're doing is we just want to help. We just want to serve. I want to make a ton of triggers for you. I want to sell a bunch of them. We want to flood the world and our plan for total global domination, of course. But more importantly right now, just want to help. And that's it's that, I think, that they get from a first couple of conversations with us that sets us apart from other people. Like, yeah, yeah, how many do you want? Here's the sliding scale of discount or whatever the other companies seem to think works. It has to be a hard 
thing to be addressing in the current market. Absolutely. How do we differentiate ourselves from the million other companies that are selling the exact same product? Right. Well, um, you know what I mean? We've got. For better or worse, like Hodge is a prime example mm -hmm. where you're talking about a guy who has, despite his claims, made no major innovations to a gun. He's he's built a Amazing gun stuff. that is a very functional midweight M4 <laughs> <laughs> that uses parts that he's acquired from other manufacturers. Mm -hmm. It's not it's not rocket science. He's mm -hmm. releasing a small number of them, and the way he's branded himself has made people people believe that his product is different. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's a difference between like forty one thirty and 4134 mm -hmm. or whatever, you know, like the, the marginally different metallurgy is, but he's convinced people that it is and people wouldn't spend money on a limited run. But like, I think that when you're talking about like, you know, most AR manufacturers, I mean, they're not retooling metals. Mm -hmm. They're not going to change what they're making to, to brand, you know, this is why we're better than everybody else. So now they have to go to like a Timney and go, Hey, we need your brand to magnify our brand. Mm -hmm. And we're blessed to be considered in that, um, obviously, but the, I think, Aaron, what you asked is what makes us so much different and how do we parlay that into the relationship? Well, when we've gone back and forth with multiple drawings, for example, with company X, back and forth and back and forth with their engineers and ours, and we just, there seems to be some kind of a disconnect, right? Like how many times you've been in a text message convo with somebody where you're like, you know what? I'm just going to pick the phone up. This is yep. ridiculous, right? Every time. What's even better? <laughs> like if you live around the corner from that guy, just, ah, I'm here. I'm just going to go to us. So we put people on planes. We put people on planes. We flew them to the company. We stayed for four days and we fixed it. We made it special to their demand because it needed to be done. They couldn't, they were too far along in the process to make major design changes into the ways that they already set their tooling. So we found a way to make something that we were able to create better. And that's what we did. I don't know if there's other trigger companies or other trigger manufacturers out there that are willing to do that. Some might have thought that's foolish, but we look at it as an extension of the desire for the relationship. We want to help. We're here to serve. So where do you see the growth for Timney and for yourself within the organization going over the next few years? I think... I know that's a little bit of a loaded question. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm going to be anyway. their God King. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> but I'm a kind God. <laughs> Benevolent. The goal is to have 10 more Rolexes. <laughs> Four more to go. Cruel guys <laughs> are the that you stand. Um, Timney, there are two places that Timney has never been in before. Timney is known as a hunting trigger company, right? Um, I think it's important we all can sit around and recognize that when things that certain special guys get, right? Special camouflage pants, special Chuck Taylor multicam shoes, special helmets, special glasses, special, packs. special beards. So, sounds like a Navy SEAL. I didn't say hair gel. <laughs> um, that the trickle-down effect is one that captivates a tremendous market in today's firearms industry, right? Do you see that changing with like kind of the the global war on terror mm. ending, winding down, you know, will there be less emphasis on kind of like, what are the super high speed guys doing? Or do you think that's just here to stay forevermore? I think it's going to stay here for a while. Uh, two reasons, because actually a lot of the products these guys get are great and they just make them better. They also get a huge amount of products that are terrible 
that we never hear about, but we would we didn't hear about them, thank God, because it stopped there. But those guys are such professionals that they got it, got their hands on it, begrudgingly were like, oh man, and tried it and broke it and figured it wasn't going to go any further. My fucking stupid S4 supply guy right. bought them because they looked they cool. They look cool, man. You're going to dig these, You're going to love this. I wanted one. Look Shut up. up. So because of that, I think what it does is it, um, we're going to get into a space where we have a chance to really get in touch with the hardworking people of, of uh, the military and the law enforcement communities and the gov communities across this country that we're able to provide products for them that they need. So I, I guess we're going to see you with a booth at the USASOC sniper competition this year. Yes, sir. That's <laughs> correct. That is accurate. I feel like we're going through We're We're going through or about to start going through a major contraction in the gun industry. I don't think overall that there's going to be less spend, but you know, starting in maybe 2005, 2006, there was an explosion of gun accessory companies. I think kind of Magpul felt it almost led the way. Mm. Like I made this one doodad. Well, it's, it's fucking hard to make money on guns. Well, like the, the profit margins on gun guns are hard, but there was a time um, at the same time, Facebook and Google ads and all that stuff was coming online and cheap ways to market directly and not waste any money to the your potential customer segments came around for people that are had these small companies they could sp- spend what little marketing money they had and get put their product directly in front of people that would potentially buy it as opposed to the shock and blast old style marketing of yeah. super bowl commercial and stuff like that so it allowed with very little money a lot of small companies to become bigger companies fast and the market got just hugely flooded really quickly now that Facebook and Google don't allow that to happen, the new companies are going to start waning. You know, there's there's not going to be a new firearms accessories manufacturer every right. week like there has been for 10 years. Um, so the, the companies that are already gotten to that point where they can market outside of those things and have a budget. I think that the in some ways, I feel like that contraction is going to be a function of um, limited machining resources, too. Right. So, like, I think that a lot of places have managed to create superior products because of access to essentially unlimited CNC time. That there are places that are geared towards gun industry that can't, they can't fill their machines up with all the time they need. So they're willing to entertain side projects. Yeah. And I think that with the con- with the contraction of gun sales, like you're mentioning, with- I, I don't think gun sales are going to contract. I think the number of gun companies is going to start contracting because the the buy in to grow is much, much higher than it was because these like essentially very, very powerful marketing tools are now off the table for firearms companies. Mm-hmm. Well, it's going to hurt made that. I think that hurts major guys. Right. But I'm not sure that hurts boutique. Like we haven't seen any of the like boutique places take a, I, I don't know. Cause I don't see their books, but I'm assuming what are you, seeing, Chris? you know, the boutique people of uh, those companies, they, most of them own their own stuff to make their own. So they understand their forecasting ahead of time so they can adjust for that. Some of the up-and-coming boutiques do farm out a significant amount of their products to other just blanket company. You know, CNC Machine Company X makes uppers and lower kits for like two dozen custom yeah. AR companies. Well, like a lot of people don't realize that it's kind of like the liquor industry. How mm-hmm. there's like three major distilleries in Kentucky that make almost <laughs> forty bourbons. <laughs> yeah, well, they make almost all of the whiskeys right. that are rebranded in the country, and it's yeah. like, oh yes, my local pub has their new. They open up a distillery. No, they didn't. 
Right. They, they they bought a truckload of neutral spirits, flavored them, and selling them. <laughs> and it's the same thing with a lot of upper and lower and manufacturers and accessory manufacturers. One company is making all of the different stuff for a bunch of different other people. And remember, those machine shops, as the market changed, i.e., remember we talked about $400 ARs, yep. when that stuff finally got flooded out, those companies mostly folded because yeah. they owed too much, they couldn't manage it anymore, and it's gone. So it opened, you know, the waiting list of SHOT Show got smaller, so to speak, which is great. Um those machine companies still have mouths to feed. So they're machining other things for other people. Which was amazing to me when we went to Nordic was like talking to those guys and being like, man, you guys have been doing guns for a hot minute. Right. And Mm -hmm. then him being like, man, the industry is not what it used to be. Mm -hmm. And like, I have all these machines and I can't keep them running. Right. And I mean, it's as, it's a simple matter of me ordering different metals and reprogramming my, you know, four-way CNC lathe to a different product. Like mm-hmm. I can make widgets for cars and sell them to GM just as easily as I can make gun parts. Yeah. The thing is I enjoyed making guns for all these years, yeah. but now I'm open to making other things. Yeah. You know that maybe Tiffany, uh, when I first started, one of the things that John said to me that was pretty striking was that Timney was an amazing company filled with great people that did created amazing, just fantastic, great quality, high quality products. You know, the, the, the finest triggers in the world since 46 is the giant banner that's hanging in the shop. But he openly admitted, he goes, we could make something different. It's the quality of the people and the quality of product that's created through the craftsmanship and the, the parts used is why we do this really well. He's like, we could make mousetraps and be the greatest historical mousetrap company on the planet. You know? Yeah. It's like Boeing, right? You right. know, like when that company got started, it was like, I can't remember, six or seven guys that got together they had a meeting. They're like, we're going to start a business together. We've got some of the smartest, greatest minds in the world sitting in this room. We're going to start a business together. What are we going to do? Yeah. And they just went down a list and had a, you know, not a whiteboard back then, right. <laughs> whatever chalkboard. And they had one meeting. They couldn't come to a consensus. They had a second meeting and somebody's like, we should make airplanes. We should do planes. That's Let's the do one. that. Yep. Yeah. So as those companies kind of fell out, these machine shops still have a, a responsibility to their people uh, to keep making products. And I visit those too. I visit the manufacturers that have made stuff for lots of companies because becoming friends with them and helping them out gets me access to who they're making stuff for, which can be a byproduct of that big networking, you know, that spider what we talked about. What I also see is that there is a huge need for machine operators, programmers, and people to run these kinds of products. You don't see that being taken over by computer or like, AI type things the or computers software. computers have to be programmed. Yeah, you have right. to program them by They have humans. to be programmed by humans. And then when there's, a, when there's a diversion from what's supposed to be modeled coming out of the machine, the machine, some of the companies have machines that use lasers to scan products under their QC, mm-hmm. but they've already been making 10,000. They're coming up on 12,000. It needs to be caught and you still have to the spec first them, right? Out. So like right. you have to take it and you got to put it in the Go meter, micrometer. Yep. yep. They measure it on a form and a magnifier. Um, there is a huge demand for that kind of skill in this country. This country makes great stuff. Where do people learn that type of thing? Usually trade schools. Right. Trade schools or going to a machine shop that is open to bringing one as an intern. We have an intern in our R&D department. He's, in, he's studying to become a mechanical engineer at a local college. Like He comes in three days a week and sits down and is like, okay, here's some drawings. Redraw these drawings. Like, oh, fuck, you know? But that's how he's cutting his teeth on it. And now he's gotten through. He's been with us for five months. He's gotten through that. Now he's getting to the point where he's understanding how SolidWorks and step files work and how that model interplays. Mm-hmm. So when a customer sends us a drawing, goes, we need something for this. 
we can have a conversation with them. They can show us what they're working on and say, yeah, we can, we can do that. We can help you guys with that. Right. We need that. Um, this country needs that. Uh, it's not all just, I mean, we, Skynet's still a couple of years away. We still need the people here to get the machines to do what we want them to do. Well, mm-hmm. Tim Cook said that the other day about it's not, it's not the price that makes us manufacture iPhones in China. It's the knowledge. It's like mm-hmm. there's not, you know, these integrated circuit manufacturers and these um, topology engineers, you mm-hmm. know, miniaturizing all of these different components onto a board. All of those people are in China. Right. There's 0.0 of them in the U.S. So if we wanted to make it here, like, cool, man, but go to school for that. You know? Yeah. Well, over there, they have whole towns that that's all they do. Yep. There are towns that's like, we make shoes. There's whole towns that we make belts. Whole towns. We make car wheels or whatever. Is there a whole town? Is there a whole town making Timmy triggers yet? Uh, no. Timmy's I've, always made in the United States and will never move. No, I'm, is counterfeit a problem with Timmy? That's, 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 that's what I was getting at. Yeah, so it's interesting. So in the international shows we've been to the last couple of years, I've been lucky enough to be there with some other brands that we're very closely partnered with. And when they come through the booth, I'm using they as a, yes. as a cover for all the Asian people that come through the booth. Um, When they come through the booth, it's interesting. They'll pick up products and start looking at things. I've seen like hash marks on thumbnails and like hash marks on fingers. So they hold products to try to get measurements measurements in a way to create something. I'm like, what are you doing? You could just buy one in the United yep. States and you know try to get it home. It's an ITAR controlled item though, ironically. So there'd be- Really? Yeah, triggers a trigger are, assembly. Yeah, trigger assembly. Fire control group yeah. uh, is an ITAR controlled item. So is there probably one day we'll probably unfortunately see some Tim Ray uh, trigger um, <laughs> somewhere? Chi- Chinese eBay. Could you imagine? Chinese Pied Piper. <laughs> <laughs> but there's whole towns over there that are making, they're, they're committed to doing certain products. Yeah. We don't have that here. You know, it used to be cars made in Detroit. Like, not anymore. Well, we saw like, how that well stopped. that worked out that for didn't us, work right? out so good. <laughs> Laws are passed in D.C. Well, you know. For the record, only, a car in America should only be made by someone making $75 an hour to drive it from the end of the assembly line to, to the, the parking, parking lot. lot. To the parking lot. <laughs> That's how you make a car in America. <clears throat> also well, how you bankrupt an automaker. Right. Shifting gears a little bit, uh, I know that now that you're out in Arizona, you have been looking at some expedition-style rigs. Oh, yeah, man. I wanted to, bug. want to pick your brain on where you are on that whole process. Well, first off, let's back up a little bit and recognize the fact that friends from the internet is what got me even here in this seat right now. And the friend from the internet that I connected with is your very own, Brent. Brent Phillips, yeah. 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 That guy's a great dude. He's a fantastic gentleman. He is a fucking con man of trading things, though, isn't he? <laughs> we love mommy here. <laughs> um, I am looking at the overlanding thing, being out west. Uh, I got the bug about two years ago. You know, spending you know years and years and years sleeping on the ground is sad, or in, in other vehicles that are not set up for that. Um, I came close. I raced motorcycles for a bunch of years, so I had a trailer that was all decked out. That was cool. We had a racetrack and a cot, like an air mattress. Fantastic. Like a toy hauler trailer. Yeah, kind of, kind yeah. of thing like that. And I, I started really realizing that there's so... This country's enormous, and it's filled with a ton of really cool stuff to see. And going out to a place to sit in a car for five or six hours to then camp on the f- ground sucks. Like, I'm old. Like That's not fun. So looking at the overlanding thing, I'm like, I could turn my pickup truck into a pretty cool overlanding rig. And then it went as so far as, oh, I really like these Global Expedition vehicles. I'm probably going to get one of these too. Wait, you have one of those? No, you have to order them. It takes around eight months to to actually build them. 
Aaron's looking at me like someone who's considering this eight month <laughs> wait, and now he has a giddy child. We've, talk, we've think, talked about we, this. We've we've chatted. I'm happy with my setup as yeah. of right now. On your now. truck? Uh, yeah, I think it suits us well for for where we're at. The Moby's um, pretty rad. Yeah, like, it is. I mean, I like our trailer. We're also not out west, mm-hmm. where we you know we're probably not using it as frequently as right. you would be using your setup. Right. Um, I definitely go back and forth. You know, we the trailers. I don't know. Every coin has two two sides, right? The trailer's cool. Like, I can disconnect it. You know, I don't have. I mean, my truck's pretty pretty big as it is mm-hmm. without the trailer on it, but it's still like a regular truck, right? Mm-hmm. I can use the bed as kind of a utility thing. Like, it's it's a it's a truck when I want it to be, just like a pickup truck. And when I want it to be like our overland rig, you know, we kind of like snap a few things together, and mm-hmm. it's good to go. Um, you know, the flip side of the trailer is that makes it a lot fucking harder to park. Um, and you know, the biggest thing is like this summer when I was just with my, my seven year old son, the two of us were on a forest service road in Black Hills National Forest. And we were, we're going through like one of the like rougher sections of the road. These two guys on like side by sides came Hmm. you know the other direction and they were like man they're like you you probably don't want to keep going down this road i was like well uh, like, like what's the, you know what's the problem um because it had been pretty rough road up to that point but like i still had never put it in four-wheel drive it was basically just like high clearance right mm-hmm. and uh these they were like man it just gets nasty i'm like well, what i mean is it like fucking giant rocks or like you know what they're like you should turn this thing around i'm like dude you're not fucking helping me at all right um you know, meanwhile, I'm like, well, it's me and my seven-year-old, and, you know, we're fucking five miles into this road, and it's three o'clock in the afternoon, and I don't want to fucking, you know, these are the first dudes I've seen on this road. I don't know if there's 50 dudes coming behind them, or there's, you know, 50 guys behind me. Don't worry, I'm about to but, block this whole road for 30 minutes. Well, not only do I not <laughs> want to block the whole road, it's like, I don't want to end up in a situation where I'm with my little boy. And it's like, all right, Eli, it's like a seven mile hike back to town. Yeah, back, to the, back to the main road. Um, you know, and it's like five o'clock at night and like we better mm-hmm. hustle before it gets dark type of thing. So at that point I was like, well, luckily th- this is, you have an entire life sustainment system to last you for <laughs> fucking like four weeks. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. I, you know, my feeling was I, what I really want to do is stop and get out and walk, you know, like the half mile or mile down the road mm-hmm. and figure out like what is, but like exactly what Doug was saying. It's like, dude, if I just leave my truck here, it's kind of a dick move if anyone else comes. Totally. So I decided to fucking three point turn it and oh. like that. <laughs> 30 point turn it. Yeah. That's <laughs> like, I mean, fortunately we were at a place on the trail where even though you know, one side of the, you know, we're kind of like on the side of this mountain, right? So it's like I was basically able to back the trailer up the side of the mountain and then turn the whole thing around. But man, that would have been a lot easier to do without the without trailer the, the trailer. Aaron right? called me like the, like it was like the next day or something. He was like telling me the story, and I could just hear like the stress in his voice. I was like, bro, I don't ever want to turn a trailer like that around. Like turning a trailer around sucks in a parking lot. Yep. I mean. Let alone being on a trail. So anyway, my point though is that uh, the idea of you know like a self-contained unit is definitely appealing. Well, the, that self-contained unit is on a Ford F five hundred and fifty chassis with a one twenty six wheelbase, 
yep. with that also hangs eight Huge. feet off the back axle. So it's right. not like a three-point turn anyway. Sure. But what you could do is just snap off the corner of that Pelican out of that driver's door, deploy your drone a mile down the road, and watch the video screen to see what's up ahead. There you go, brother. Um, mine, same setup. It's no trailer. It's just a, a Chevy pick, full-size, 2,500 HD, mm -hmm. quad cab with a deck system in the rear, a two-inch memory phone gel pad on top of it wrapped in a uh, like a, a duvet cover, whatever they call it. Um, yeah. Both drawers are loaded with enough gear for a couple of weeks in case something, you know, God forbid, but uh, plenty of first aid stuff and food. And then the truck itself, spares, jack, fuel, water, like on top, we keep the kayaks and off the back of the back bumper, we've got our mountain bikes. So cool. it's set up for like weekend excursions or driving a state or two over to Cali or to New Mexico to go visit friends and do like the trips that, you know, you guys at uh, Brent just recently did pulling that, uh, the behemoth behind his Toyota. How big was that thing? Dude? It's big, dude. So Brent, it's big. Brent traded a rifle for a overlanding trailer. Brent's become quite the horse trader, man. He's the guy Brent, that takes the paperclip for the Lamborghini thing. Like, mm -hmm. Brent said something to me the other day we were talking about, like I, I picked up that stupid 10 millimeter pistol and Brent's like, you got enough dumb guns in your inventory. <laughs> you could trade your way into a new car. And I was like, I've never thought about Watch it. Watch me terms. do it. <laughs> when you put Brent. it like that, your answer is like, you're right. I do. Yeah. I've always assumed your retirement account wasn't guns. That was, that was just I it. like to, when I, Sometimes my I don't I will never Scrooge McDuck my way through like a money vault, but sometimes when I'm feeling poor, I walk out into the garage and I survey my my three hundred thousand dollar kingdom of Ample. random gun things <laughs> and stacks of ammunition, and I'm like, ah, one day all of this will be worth nothing. Right. <laughs> That's what a sleeve of Krugerrands is for. Krugerrands. <laughs> That's one thing about the industry, though. You get in the industry, you work with within the industry. Um, the stuff, right? It's mm -hmm. the stuff. That's the part I think that the average enthusiast think. Those are one of the misconceptions. Like, oh man, you're in the industry, bro. You get everything for free. Or you have so much stuff. You probably have just like, you got white Foz nods hanging in your bedroom. You like, have to be really good at mouth stuff. To oh, make is that, that what happen. it is? Yes. Oh, well. Since you run dry, I guess that you'd have to be good <laughs> at mouth stuff. Um, and that's kind of part of it, but uh, it's not, it doesn't have to be all that way. You know, it's, it's yeah. just whatever. It's, it doesn't... Uh, that that part doesn't really get me going. I don't think that uh, I'm in it for all the you know, the free stuff. It's it's cool just to have partnerships with people and just you know. But I I do find that the free stuff is nice in the sense that it takes away a lot of the stressors of hobbies. Like oh, I yeah. know that I used to not shoot nearly as much because it was always like I have this much ammunition and I'm not getting more and I can't afford more because if I go buy more the wife is going to lose her mind right and it's like you spent a thousand dollars on on what like oh on ammo what, what? no you didn't I, <laughs> I did so the idea that in the industry you can like go shooting and like if something breaks people will help you fix it mm. like it's it's not bad yeah that's helpful it's nice to have a like a place to fall back on it. I'm certain it's much nicer for you in Arizona where like shooting is a 364 day. Oh a year. my God. It is. And everybody out there like carries and everybody's shooting all over the place. Sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. <laughs> You'll be driving on the highway and look to the right or left and just see random campgrounds of people just trucked up, just wagon, wagon circle and just, laying waste to some section of the BLM just getting it done. Um, Red Dead Redemption 3. Oh, it's sketchy, dude. So, <laughs> and, and where I live in, this, in, in Phoenix too, everyone has side-by-sides. Like everybody has side by side. Which are rad. 
Well, <laughs> so they're super, the ones the most civilians have access to are super rad because then the guys will, I, I went out and priced them just for, for giggles, right? They're like 20 grand, right? I'm like, I'll sell a Harley and then go down and take a look-see at these things and see if it's worth it because I got guys in my neighborhood that'll have them. Instead of walking two blocks to each other's houses on a weekend to hang out by the pool and drink beers, they'll literally take the side-by-side because I guess that's not intoxicated driving. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Ain't I, got a license plate on it, does it? Get off my tractor. Get so, away from me, copper. <laughs> I went and looked at these things. They're like 40 Gs, man. Holy shit. 40 grand for a Can-Am four-door with like the lights and stereo, the, the, oh, the yeah, road yeah. kit. And, oh, you're like, yeah, that's normal? Here, do you guys have this same well, thing? Well, I mean, I feel like about 10 years ago, like the whole world figured out that rednecks have way more money than they were led on <laughs> to believe. <laughs> you know, and they're like literally... They, Over, have, they have way more credit. Overnight, <laughs> credit. Overnight, a top of the line wakeboard boat went from like seventy grand to like two hundred and fifty. There you grand. go. The wakeboard boats are being towed by galactic pieces of garbage. And yeah, I'm like, man. Stop it. Wait, did we did did wakeboard boats go from seventy grand to two hundred fifty grand? Dude, if you walk into Mastercraft right now and you totally trick out one of their boats or Nautique, you're like easily, an like an X thirty or something. Like an X twenty. An X thirty is way over two hundred. No way. Yes way. Dude, you, top end. I never understood be, the whole boat thing, man. Yeah. So, like all these like fucking Well, you're a Chicago boy. Offshore if you, offshore racing boats and stuff I don't like know about all that. that. Yeah. Like how many people are are out there? It seems to me like there are way more people out there with six-figure boats than there would be people that could afford six-figure boats. Right. No, I agree. Right. You know. Well, the wake the wakeboard boat thing blows my mind. I mean, now that I know how so much some of those cost, you mm-hmm. go around the lake, you know, even here at Lake Jordan, and you're like, holy so, crap. And in and, and Phoenix, there's not no oceans nearby, obviously, but have a Sioux. Dude. And they got boats by manufacturers that are only good for lakes. Like, oh, this isn't re- no rivers, right? You're not gonna drive this on the river because it's not a river boat. Yeah. It sure as hell isn't an offshore boat. Yeah. It's a lake only, and it's a lake only like in only certain conditions. They got certain boats that can't run on lakes if the there's the waves are too high. Or- yeah, well, with the drought, and yeah, I, I grew up. Well, I went to college in Austin, Texas, mm-hmm. and Lake Travis. There, it's a way for people to show off money. Sure, and the draft that the maximum draft you could have on a boat on that lake was like four feet. You know, it wasn't very deep, so guys knew like, well, I could put a fifty-two foot. Sea Ray Twin yacht hole. on here. You know, it's like crazy. You know, like what? It's a lake, man. Why do you have an $800,000 yacht on they a lake? I've got a buddy of mine that's got this. This thing is just like decked out, right? I don't even know the names of the things he has on it. But he's like, you want to go boat? And bro, he took me shooting. You want to go? I'm like, all right, cool. And we rolled up the- $500 for a tank of gas. Oh, 500 you know, 600 bucks to fill it up. We pull up. I'm like, hey, you want some cash on that, bro? And he's like, no, I got it. I'm like, okay. Here I am with my, you know, 12-pack of Natty Light. And <laughs> I'm super glad circle. I took that guy shooting. <laughs> <laughs> thousand rounds? That was it? Yeah, thousand yeah. rounds? Um, a, friend of, a friend of Doug and I on a lake had a 42-foot Baja powerboat. Oh, my God. Had a 420-gallon tank on it. Yeah. And he used to, ha- like, he had a truck, and he, I basically got to be on the boat as his first mate. You know, we would go out on the weekend, sleep Captain on the boat. Captain Gabe. Yeah, Captain Gabe, man. <laughs> Doug's Crazy just a, dude. Doug's just a cabin boy. But- Oh, bro. One of the things <laughs> was he had, that. he had 55-gallon drums that he would, in the bed of his truck, and he would go fill them up at a regular station, and then we would wheel these 55-gallon drugs down to the dock and hand crank the gas. Because he didn't want boat gas. Because it was three times as expensive yeah. in the lake. Yeah. You know, so this was 2002, 2003. You know, it was like $3 a gallon on the lake. Yeah. You know, so, dude, 
at four or five dollars a gallon now, it costs two thousand dollars to fill up the tank, which you could burn because it's running triple engine, dude, seven hundred horsepower Merc cruisers, blue Mercs, blue line Merc or whatever. Like what? Yeah, and it you could burn those in a weekend poker run for four hundred gallons for of gas. What purpose? So I'll, t- I'll tell you exactly. <laughs> this is was my experience. We got in the water. It's a big to do because when you bring something like that down the ramp, it's like you got to play the right music. The truck's got to be washed and waxed. Like you get it in the water. Oh yeah. And then it's catching stairs from anything wearing a two-piece anything, right? And gets in the water. I had to go park the truck, which I could drive a truck trailer, no worries. I come back down. It's just whoop, 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 just sitting on the on the dock ready to roll. Hop on it. It's get out of the no-wake zone. And as soon as you pass the buoy, 90 miles bah, it is rooster tail. Uh, hey, bro, go ahead and turn up that, uh, that Wu-Tang and sit down. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And then that lever gets pegged to 11. Yeah. And it comes up on plane lickety split. He trims it out, and then poof, we're off at seventy miles an hour to the cove. We didn't like ride around the lake. We went to the cove, and then you park and lash up, and you pull up, and it's no wake again, and you blub 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 at no miles an hour to drift in while everybody's booty shaking, and you find some boys that you're cool with that also have ridiculous rigs. Your tone of voice sounds disapproving, but you're literally describing my Elysia. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is my blown heaven. engines and oh, booty shaking. God, dude, it was unbelievable. And we park you, you link up, and then it's you, out come the cold cans, and everybody gets in tubes and hops in the water. That was the, for me the best part. That was hilarious. And then yeah, man, swimming over, meeting other people, and then the disapproving looks from the the younger females that are hanging out with guys are three times their age. Yeah, I, what's disapproving about that, dude? I knew <laughs> I knew a guy that had a forty eight foot yacht that had three wakeboard tenders on the back, like wake, wave runner tenders on the back on like hydraulic lift that would go up and oh down in the God. water. And I was like, why do you have these? He's like, well, when I lash up at the cove, I my boat is the biggest boat, so everybody's going to lash off to me and my two, two anchors. I am the center of the starship. I'm the, yeah, I'm the, I'm the galactic <laughs> hub of all the booty shaking. So if I want to go pick up more girls or if I want to, like someone needs to leave, like they have to go on the wave runner. He like, needs a book called how to manage my huge penis <laughs> right? i mean at that point does it matter how big your penis is dude so the last time we did this concerns where we were up in like a shit u-shape there was the dude wearing the ankle rocket thing with the, the tube connected to him oh yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what i'm talking about I know exactly what I'm talking about i don't even know how to describe this he was yeah. jetting through the air using water and trying to not face plant in front of a thousand people while just like dancing around and blasting people with spray just in the air and then finally just coming down out of it and then putting some other girl who had only taken 428 shots into these boots and then sending her off the back of the boat too. Well, that's like, that's like the her capacity. Courage. That's the rich shots is good. That's the rich hillbilly version of like the, the hipster with the acoustic guitar that's at every party. You know, it's Jack like, Johnson's just no one, no one cares, man. Your daughter loves no me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just, I don't know if it's, uh, a result of like the the loan schemes, you know, like yeah. you know, like you buy an RV on you know like an eighty year loan, you know, this eight hundred thousand dollar RV is you know one hundred and fifty nine dollars a month. Like right. if the is boat thing, because I'm about to get yeah. myself an yeah. RV. <laughs> yeah, man, they're mortgaged like homes, but yeah. both houses, Harleys and side by sides. Like you're, I think all these companies just realize, like, man, we used to charge because no one would spend more than. Ten thousand dollars in a side by side. Now they're selling these forty five thousand dollars side by side. Well, I also think. I mean, the last time I was in Arizona visiting Brent, like my experience of side by sides is very limited. 
and is almost basically limited to like the side by sides that are on the farms at the butcher shop buys meat from utilities, utility side by sides. We get out to Arizona and it's like, dude, I'm like, man, that thing's got like fucking suspension up to the dude's face. You know what I mean? I got a, one of my neighbors, his neighbor, we're talking about side by sides. He's got a Can-Am that's not cool enough. Doug, he wants to chatter him. The desert rats. Yeah. He wants one of those. Like it's like guys buying old H ones yeah, from yeah. like you know Gulf War one and two. He wants a legit like special forces radios and guts pulled out of it, but available through bidding online and some you know dark web. Who knows? Maybe the dark web. Um, to go ride around in like that goes a hundred miles an hour. But you know, man. So I was in the I was into off roading really big in college, mm-hmm. like really big. And like we went to all the like rock crawling competitions out west. One of my buddies, Hal, had like a he had two rigs that he bought from a guy in South Dakota who's like a world famous rig builder. His name's Jason Pauly. Like I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with him. Mm-hmm. He owns like a shop called Twisted Customs. But a lot of Jason Pauly's customers came from Phoenix because Phoenix was like the rock crawling capital Mecca. of yeah. the world. Because you just drive in your backyard, go up into one of the canyons, and yep. just drive up the old waterfalls and stuff, right? right? And all the guys from Peterson's Four Wheel Drive were up there. So like. Everybody built out Jeeps for that stuff for forever. And it sure seems to me like side-by-sides have become, like, like rock crawling is slow and boring. King of the Hammers is the way, like, people who are into rock crawling still do King of the Hammers. Right. But King of the Hammers is, like, a high-speed peppered with rock crawling. Mm-hmm. And, like, it seems like side-by-sides are the wave of the future. I mean, you, these are dudes that spent $200,000 on a Jeep. What do they care about spending $60,000 on a side-by-side? Just pass them in traffic, looking over and seeing them all have comms. Their kids have comms. They're wearing goggles. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and they're just... I feel so fucking old right now. They're just tooling down the road to Target. Old and lame. <laughs> all right. That's, that's cool. I mean, it's a sweet setup, man. You want to do it, right? You know the... Do you, do you remember the videos of... What's that dude's name, Brian, on the internet that has like the the desert racing like super tricked out. It's like a hot rod or a Volkswagen or whatever on like 37s, but full suspension. It's like an 800 horsepower deal. And he's like just driving through town like an asshole. Like, oh, that was the guy that built that V8 uh, Baja bug. Yes. He got arrested after yeah. he made that video. He made like a super cool video of him just basically drifting <clears throat> up. This like, guy built this fucking sweet looking Baja bug. With like a 500 horsepower V8 rather than like a, you know, like <laughs> a 800 pounds, dude. And yeah, it was like 37s and, you know, like 80 inches of suspension travel. Oh my God. And I mean, he made this video of him, him driving like an asshole, driving like a total asshole in San Diego. An amazing like video. driving over parking lots and like all this kind you of know, shit. Like when you like when there's like the bridge overpass yeah. and like they have like the embanked, uh, like, um, the canals, the diverge canals. No, the, um, just the retaining it. walls. Just at the retaining walls, but they're they're called an abutment. Like how they yeah. have like the sloped abutments under the bridge. Mm-hmm. He's like hitting those things at 70 miles an hour, like under the fucking pylons for the bridge, and then like ramping up, like no sight unseen off the end, catching air and then hitting a road up above <laughs> it. And like he's doing it all on video. Dude, like two days after this video came out, I mean, they're like, like it was like an car. APB. Yeah. Like, like this guy, he did get arrested. Of course. After making that video. Worth it. But <laughs> come to my there. house and take you to jail, right? Anyway, coolest internet video ever. I bet those guys on that ODA that shot that car with those uh, less lethal rounds don't regret it either. Best internet viral video ever. Hit him with a two or three, man. <laughs> <laughs> it was a shotgun. It was fine. 
Yeah. Well, oh it's, my God. sounds like things are going well for you out in Arizona, man. They are. It's uh, climate change is is cool. Uh, I've, I've the, my East Coast trip here has been. I'm reminded with the the gloominess. You know, we're not doing our mountain bike ride this afternoon because you prayed so much for this. Yeah. Um, but Doug's been doing his rain dance. It was, was that what it was? Oh yeah. Is that, I think, is that one pant leg shorter than the other? That um, was the... Uh, the <laughs> Let's not bring up sore subjects. <laughs> rain dance, a.k.a. riding a skateboard with no no pants on. No pants on. These, these, <laughs> these sweatpants are the LL Cool J. Would you call them? <laughs> would you call them? You call them man jams? Man jams, <laughs> that's right. Coming soon. Well, by the time people listen to this, they might be out. Yeah, they be out. <laughs> it's, uh, it's been great. It's the climate. It's the, a lot of times the people. Um, you know, I get a chance to go and uh, do a little bit of peddling with the uh, Brent. And kind of do do that sort of thing. Uh, it's a ton of stuff to do outside. So while not working, I get a chance to go to lots of shooting events and things of that nature. But I also get a chance to get out in the woods and kind of disconnect. And that's the other key to that whole oil running part. You know, you and your son just a couple of days, plenty of supplies, headed up a road where guys are telling you, "Don't go here." I'm like, screw you, man. Like we're gonna go. We're going there. We're dying living right now. <laughs> it's like when, anytime my wife tells me I shouldn't do something, it's, I'm immediately like doing the abacus. In yeah. my head, dude. What is slide the consequence? Scale? Yeah, slide scale, potential outcomes. The don't go this way story. I, I, I don't know <laughs> if I've told you this story. When I was in selection, man, there was one of those like roads that you weren't allowed to cross, but there was a river there. Mm-hmm. And you need, I needed to go north. My point was north of the story, up north in the story, and I uh, needed to move north across this river. And there was a road. I used that road as my attack point. Like I knew, okay, the bridge is here. I know I'm here on the map. I'm mm-hmm. going to push west and see if I could find a place to cross this river. Well, I, I look, and across the way is this dude coming out of the river. And I start, well, okay, he made it through. This is a good place to cross. So I start pushing in. This guy turns around. Just looks like he's seen the devil. Says, hey, man, don't go this way. I'm like, what? He's like, just don't go this way. And that was it. He took turned off, and and went took into, the off into the woods. And every and like, single SF guy ever was like, that guy's a faggot. Yeah. Guy's gay. <laughs> That's exactly, I was thinking, like, you weak bastard. So I started <laughs> started swimming. You know, my, my rucksack's waterproof, so I'm, it's floating. Buoyant, a little buoyant. It's floating above me, and I'm sitting there, and I'm starting to make some distance. It's probably about 50 meters across this river. And all of a sudden, my legs start itching. And I realize that there is just an enormous amount of this stinging like hydrilla nettle in this thing. And it's wrapping my legs completely up. So before I knew it, I was completely just like <laughs> arms and legs covered in the stinging nettle shit. And every movement is a ripping motion where I'm having to rip more, rip more, rip more. It took me 40 minutes to make my way across the last like 30, 40 meters of this thing. I mean, and just fighting and like rolling fighting with my rucksack and I can't take it off because it's buoyant. So it's going to float down the river. Right. You know, so I'm fighting it and uh, all that sort of stuff. Finally get through. I come out of this thing looking like the swamp thing, just like green foliage hanging all over me. I stop for a moment and tear this stuff away from my arms and legs and start to move off. And I turn around and there's a dude (laughs) who's seen me and he's coming in. And all, all I could say to him was, Hey, hey, don't go this way. <laughs> don't go this way, man. It was worth it to prove that other weakling wrong. I bet he didn't make it as a Green Beret. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> All I know is I made it, but I shouldn't have gone that way. I like how every single one of my checkpoints, the cadre were like, hey, you know, like, because you know, like, you give you the option of like counseling you and like, look, let me check your route. Cool. 
this is what I think my route's going to be. Uh, you sure you want to do that? Maybe you want to go this way, like where it's like follow the high ground or whatever. And I'm like, nope, man, I'm a heat seeking meat missile. Like every time the dudes just start laughing, like I'm going straight through that draw <laughs> and it's going to be way faster. And they'd always be like, you dumb son of a bitch. Underbrush be damned. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, that was my strategy. Just a uh, straight line, dead reckoning. Don't worry about like, I'm just going to fight the brush the whole way. There's a thicket over there. I'm going to go through that thicket. Okay. Well, Super Chris, thanks for coming in and joining us today, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. I hope this won't be the last time, just the first. Absolutely. Coming at We're you. coming to Arizona next. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Have to. We'll be out there at some point. Actually, I'll be out in Arizona in about a month. We have a strict no pants policy at my house, Doug. <laughs> I'm all about it, bro. So I'm looking at you when I'm saying that. <laughs> I can feel your loving stare. Right. There's no need to bring it to my attention. Thanks, Chris.